This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So I spent a lot of time praying about this this week. Because I really got to the place where I said, wait a minute, all right, I know what glory is supposed to be. I've got some, some vague image of what glory is supposed to be. But honestly, my definition of glory is about as cloudy as, as what the Bible says that the glory of the Lord was in the Old Testament. What is it really supposed to mean? And I believe the Lord gave me something. I'm going to let you judge it for yourself, but I believe the Lord gave me something. It's the wow factor. Now, when the angels in, in Psalm 8 are saying, what is man that you are mindful of him? They're going, wow. When the glory of the Lord appeared in Solomon's temple, everybody went, wow. When Jesus shows up and does miracles, everybody goes, wow. When the lame were healed and the sick were, the, the, the demon possessed were delivered and the, the sick were healed and, and, and all the things that Jesus did, everybody went, wow. When Jesus taught, and all of these things the Bible attaches to the glory of God. When Jesus taught, everybody said, wow, we've never heard it like that before. The glory of God is the wow factor. When God created man, He put something on him that every other being, which at that time all there were were the angels, went, wow. And then they questioned it. They said, what is man that you gave him the wow factor? Turn with me over to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. The ministry of Paul was so significant because Paul was the first one to provide information regarding the mystery. Here's what I mean by that. Paul said, writing to the Galatians, when he's justifying, and we're studying some of this on Wednesday nights during the, during the study of the book of Galatians, Paul tells them very specifically, the gospel that I received, I didn't get from man. And he says that that ministry, the gospel that the whole world will be judged by, he calls that the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. Now, let me show you what that means. In, uh, in Romans chapter 16, verse 25, Paul says, Now to him that is of power to establish you, according to my gospel. The word established means to be firmly fixed. It means to be strong. If you want to be established, if you want to be strong in the things of God, Paul's going to tell you how that works. He's going to tell you the way to be strong. And folks, I would submit to you, here's why most of the church world is not strong. Paul said, according to him that is able to keep you or establish you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. Paul is saying, if you're going to be strong, you have to, you're going to have to be strong in my gospel. What was Paul's gospel? Paul's gospel was Jesus, faith in Jesus only, not rules and regulations. Okay, back to Romans 16, verse 25. Notice this. Paul said, if you're going to be strong or established, it's going to be according to my gospel. That means stay out of the Old Testament. You know how many people want to talk about the book of Job? Well, what about Job? What about Job? I'd rather stick with Paul's gospel. There's a lot of things about Job I don't know. Now, I know more about Job than most of the people that I've talked to. But even at that, it's Old Testament. Yeah, but does that mean God did this? Does that mean God brought these things on Job? No. God said he didn't. Job said he didn't. 
But if you want to know what God's like, look at the Gospels. Look at the gospel that Paul preached. Why? Because Paul said that this his gospel is the revelation of the mystery. You're not going to know the mystery through the Old Testament. And in my opinion, this is why God picked Paul. Because nobody knew the Old Testament better than Paul did. He had the same training, he had the same teaching as the Old Testament high priests. So for Paul to know the Old Testament, for him to have the training of the Old Testament priest, the high priest, same training that they had, same training that the other priests had, for Paul to know that and then see Jesus and have the revelation of how these things in the Old Testament were fulfilled by Jesus, he's got the whole package. That's why Peter said, our brother Paul says things that are hard to understand. You know why they're hard to understand for Peter? Because he's still living out of a lot of stuff in the Old Testament. That's why the epistles that Paul wrote to us are so important because they contain exactly who we are in Christ. And this is what Paul says. He says, my gospel is the revelation of the mystery. The revelation of the mystery. Now notice what it says about this mystery, which was kept secret since the world began. Which was kept secret since the world began. Now that word world can be one of two things. It can either be the creation of the original Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, or it can be the recreation of the earth in the Adam and Eve account. I don't know which one it is. I think the word used here, somebody, if somebody's got a, a concordance or something, tell me real quickly. I think this word is cosmos, which means the world system, which generally means the Adam and Eve system of the world that we know of now. But it could mean the beginning of man, uh, the beginning since Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Could be either one of those. Somebody get that? What is it? Kratos. Okay, well, that's not the world system then. Then that lends credibility to it being since the beginning of time. Now, think about it either way. I don't care which way it is, but think about it either way. That means God kept a secret from mankind since at least Adam and Eve, maybe even before. He kept a secret. What was the secret that he kept? Well, look with me over to Ephesians chapter 3 now. Let's start in verse 7. Paul says, Whereof I was made a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. In other words, he's saying, God called me to be a minister and he equipped me. Now he's talking about himself. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, you notice that phrase, the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Folks, I want you to understand, anytime you feel like you don't have enough, the Bible says there are unsearchable riches in Christ. That means if you think you're missing out on something, then the only thing you need is to search a little bit more to find what you do need. Verse 9, and to make all men see, here's part of his, his calling, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. What is the fellowship of the mystery? Which from the beginning of the world, now again, I don't know if this is the beginning of, of the Adam world or if it was the beginning of the Genesis 1-1 world, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. The Bible is saying God had a hiding place. Now, folks, the the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost all have distinct purposes in the Godhead. God's the planner. Jesus is the revealer. 
And the Holy Ghost is the agent by which the work of God is done. Jesus reveals by his word. So this is telling us that the mystery, the secret plan of God was hidden in God from the beginning of the world. There's a scripture, I don't know if we'll get to it this morning, but there's a scripture that says that, uh, that if Satan knew what God's plan was, he never would have crucified Jesus. And he calls him the Lord of glory. He never would have crucified the Lord of glory. God had this secret that was hidden from the beginning of the world. Personally, I think it was the Genesis 1-1 beginning. But I don't know for sure. I think it was always God's plan for man to be the end result. But you decide for yourself. But that's what this is talking about where the mystery is concerned. Now, let's see what the mystery is. Second Corinthians chapter 2. I'm sorry, First Corinthians chapter 2. Well, let's just start in verse 1. Paul said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Paul knew that he was not a good speaker. God didn't pick the most eloquent speaker to reveal the mystery. He says himself that, or the Bible says, the Holy Ghost says that Apollos was a much, much more excellent speaker. So he said, I didn't come with excellency of speech. Verse 2, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus and him crucified. Now, folks, that's really important because Jesus and him crucified means the sacrifice of Jesus. He's saying, I determined not to know anything among you about the Old Testament law. I determined not to know anything. I didn't want to tell you of anything regarding Abraham and Abraham's blessings and all the other kind of stuff regarding the law of Moses and what God did in the Old Testament. I didn't want you to know anything except Jesus and what was accomplished through his crucifixion. In other words, the only thing I wanted you to know is who you could be in Christ when you make Jesus your Lord. That's the only thing I wanted you to know. Paul seemed to think that was sufficient. Should be for us too. So I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. In other words, he's saying it wasn't my speech that I wanted to convince you with. I wanted you to be convinced with the wow factor of God. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men or men's ability to use words, but in the power of God. Have you noticed in the political scene how no matter what happens, everybody will spin it to say it's something else? That's what this means. That's the same kind of thing this is talking about. Not a twisting of words, not trying to convince you by some twist of words. It's amazing. Unemployment numbers will come out and they'll be terrible. And all of a sudden, you'll have political people talking about, well, it's, this is a good sign. <laughs> what are they talking about? That's what this means. Instead of twisting words to try to make you think something that they want you to think, he wants your faith to stand in the power of God. Folks, let me tell you something. No matter who says what about whether or not God heals or whether or not God does miracles or whether or not God supplies your needs, I cannot be convinced otherwise because I've seen it. Somebody's wasting their time telling me. And as soon as you can get somebody to experience the things of God for themselves, they're hooked. If they, Well, they're hooked if they continue in them. 
I've seen people turn away from them. But that's not a real common thing. Because once you see it, how are you going to believe somebody that says God doesn't do that anymore? I was talking to a guy not too long ago and he says, Well, but have you ever seen an organic condition healed? Somebody that didn't have eyes and eyes were, were formed. No. But I've seen blind eyes open. Does that not count? Well, yeah, but, but have you ever seen anybody that didn't have a hand that, that that hand was created? No, but I've seen tumors disappear. Does that not count? See, people get into all these mental gyrations about stuff and all these arguments about things. When you've experienced the power of God, how do you turn away from that? Paul seems to think that's a big hook. He said, I wanted to demonstrate the power of God to you so that your faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's where your faith should be, folks. Not in somebody's preaching, not in somebody's teaching, not in somebody's testimony, but in the power of God. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. But healing school is not a a healing uh, crusade. We're here week after week after week. Healing evangelists a lot of times can come in, blow in, blow up, and blow out. People come, have hands laid on, you get some results, some miracles type things will take place, but then not everybody receives. And then afterwards, the healing evangelist is gone and we're left with the people that didn't get anything. What happened? What's wrong with me? That's not what these healing school services are. This is healing school. That means we're here week after week after week. We're going to deal with the same thing next week that we dealt with last week. The person that comes tonight and for whatever reason doesn't receive their healing, we're going to be here next week to help you to get it. Again, that's Healing School each Sunday night, led by Pastor Mike Webb at 6 p.m. For directions and more information, go to MikeWebb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Howbeit, verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of the world that come to naught. Now, I've got to take that one apart. I've got to take a few minutes and take that one apart. He says, we speak wisdom among those that are perfect. The perfect that he's talking about is, we're telling Christians the wisdom of God. Those that are perfect are those that are made complete in Christ. Perfect doesn't mean you never miss it. Perfect means you've been made complete in Christ. Now, folks, no matter how much better you learn to live, no matter how much better you learn to walk in love, you'll never be more complete than complete. And even if you sin, even if you fall and stumble into sin, you're still complete in Him. You need to repent of the unrighteous action, the stumbling and the falling into sin. That's 1 John 1, 9. But you're still complete in Him. It doesn't keep you from being complete in Him. That's why there's such a difference between righteous, being made righteous, and living righteously. The devil always attacks your living unrighteously and says that means you're not righteous. No, it doesn't. It means you stumbled and fell. Well, I wish I could get that across to people. But it takes years to get it across to most people. Because they're so used to operating according to how they feel based on what they've done. That's rules and regulations. That's what Paul is saying. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus and Him crucified. The fact that you were made righteous by the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus. Period. 
So he says, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Those that are made, those that are made righteous in Christ. Those that have become complete in Him because you've been born again. We're speaking the wisdom of God to Christians. But not the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of who you are in Christ is not the wisdom of this world, nor is it the wisdom of the princes of this world that come to naught. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about Satan's power. And notice he said the Satan's power has come to naught. One translation says the dethroned powers that rule this world. The dethroned powers that rule this world. Now, wait a minute. We know that Satan dethroned Adam in the Garden of Eden by causing Adam to fall short of the glory of God. How is Satan now dethroned because of Jesus' work? The Bible says Jesus spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly. When, uh, one minister friend of mine says, Jesus defeated the devil and paraded him through downtown eternity. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Satan is a defeated foe. He still rules the world but only over those that don't know he's dethroned. That's why it's so important for you to learn who you are in Christ. It's so important for you to say what the Bible says you are in Christ so that he no longer rules over you, even though Jesus has made you free. And that's why so much of the church world is bound by sin or or, or sickness or whatever the case is, because they don't know that Jesus has made them free. They haven't stepped into that freedom by confessing who they are in Christ. And so Satan, even though he's defeated, even though his power is broken, still holds him in, holds him, uh, in, in bondage. So he says, we don't speak the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But, verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Now, a mystery is something that was hidden that is now revealed. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world. Remember it was hidden? Remember the secret was hidden from the beginning of the world? Which was hidden, or I'm sorry, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world. What was the mystery that Paul had revealed to him? Even our glory. The mystery that was revealed that if Satan had known, he never would have crucified Jesus for, was that when Jesus defeated the devil by being raised from the dead, when Jesus was crucified, Satan thought he had him. When Jesus spent three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, in the middle of hell, Satan thought he had him. Because nobody had ever come back from hell. How could anybody come back from hell? It's impossible. It's the place of the dead. It's the final judgment of God. How could anybody come back from the dead? But when God raised Jesus from the dead, he restored the wow factor to man. He restored man's authority. He has restored man's glory. Now, this is all by making Jesus the Lord of your life. I don't mean it just came on the earth all of a sudden by itself. I mean, he restored it for those that would receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. He restored their authority over Satan over every other thing in the earth, every other power in the earth. He restored their glory. He restored that honor. He restored that place of dominion. He restored the supernatural, the wow factor, the miraculous to mankind. And had Satan known that that would be the end result. Now look at where Satan came from. He came from seeing man with the wow factor to stealing the wow factor. To having it taken from him 
through Jesus forever, and now he can't get it back. Now he can't get it back. And folks, you need to know something. We'll quit with this. I've got further I want to go, but we'll quit here for this morning. Because he knows he can't get it back, and because he knows his time is short. Uh, turn with me to Revelation chapter 12. Rather than quote this to you, let me, let me show you. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 talks about the story of Israel. It talks about Jesus being a, a, a child of Abraham, the seed of Abraham. And it talks about how Satan tried to destroy him, and he couldn't. And so God protected him and kept him and so forth. Notice it says... Um, We'll start in verse 10. Now I heard, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. That's not talking about the future, folks. That's talking about already. That's talking about when Jesus was raised from the dead. That's when Satan was defeated. Satan's not going to be defeated down the road. Satan's already defeated. Now God will deal with him once and for all and cast him into the bottomless pit. But he's already been defeated. He's a dethroned power that still rules over the world or that part of the world that doesn't know they've been made free by Jesus. That's all. That's why the Bible says Jesus told us to occupy till he comes. The battle has already been won. The war is over. You are now an occupying force. You are now to take back that which Satan had stolen from the people of God. You don't have to do the fighting. Your only fight is the fight of faith. Because it's through faith that you take possession or occupy that which Satan originally stole. But Satan doesn't have any choice now. He has nowhere to go. He's just waiting for the end. He has no way to recapture the glory and the honor that God put upon mankind. Now, not all mankind is going to walk in it. Only those that have made Jesus the Lord of their lives and that grow according to the mystery of Paul's gospel. Who we are in Christ, in other words. But it tells us that the accuser of the brethren is cast down. You need to understand that. Satan is not standing before God accusing you day and night. He has nothing to accuse you of. He accuses you. But he doesn't accuse you to God. See, that's why people look at the book of Job and they say, well, is that how it works today? Is Satan going in and out of the presence of God and, and, and accusing the people of God? Are you kidding? Do you really think God lets Satan come into heaven? He has a free pass? The Bible says that he's under your feet. He can't get to heaven. He's under your foot. How's he going to get to heaven under your foot? He doesn't accuse you to God. He accuses you to you. How do you defeat that? By saying who you are in Christ. Now is the, this salvation. Now is the accuser of the brethren cast down. And they overcame him. His eye you overcome. This is not in the future. This is now. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. What does that show? That shows the place of the blood of Jesus, which makes you righteous. It shows the place of the word of God in your mouth, which is your way of exercising authority over the devil. And it shows that you love the things of God more than you love this life. In other words, you put spiritual things first. You put eternal things first. Those are the three characteristics that it talks about overcoming. Okay, I'm glad you're excited about that. (laughs) 
Okay, notice verse 12. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, you that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down upon unto you, having a great wrath, because he knows that he has but a short time. Now, folks, we know of the tribulation as being the wrath of God, but you need to understand something. The devil knows that the time is short. He doesn't know when the time is, but he knows the time is short. He's able to look around, too. He's able to see things that happen now that are different than the way things used to happen 20 years ago. Look at how the world has changed just in the last 20 years. Look at things you can get away with now that you couldn't get away with 20 years ago. Look at the language. What's acceptable to say now that wasn't acceptable just 10 or 15, 20 years ago. Men are getting worse and worse. Sin is becoming more and more and more acceptable. It's becoming mainstream. Now, it's not a, a matter of whether or not you can say the F word on, on primetime TV. It's how many times you can say the F word. The world is going crazy. And everybody's sitting back saying, well, it should be okay. You need to understand something. The devil, knowing that his time is short, he pours out his wrath before God ever pours out his. The devil has great wrath before the end because he knows his time is short. That's what I think you're seeing a lot of happening in the world now. If the devil had any long-term or long-range plans to stay in control here on the earth, he wouldn't be trying to tear it up. If the devil had any long-range plans of, of, of controlling the financial system of this world, he wouldn't be destroying it. You can expect to see the wrath of Satan before you ever see the wrath of God. And thank God we won't. As the church, we won't. But what I mean is you're going to see the wrath of Satan before the tribulation ever shows up. And I think we're seeing a lot of that now. I think we're seeing a lot of that now. But here's the good news. The Bible says Jesus is coming for a glorious church. A glorious church. What is a glorious church? Well, Ephesians chapter 4 says that God cleanses the church through the washing of the water by the word. In other words, that same gospel that Paul said you're established by is what the Bible says you're made glorious by. You know what that means? That means you and I ought to be growing in the supernatural. If you're not, you need to check up on what's going on in your life. You should be growing in the knowledge of who you are in Christ. You should be growing. You should be occupying more and more of the devil's territory that he's taken from you. Jesus is not coming for a church hiding in a cave. He's not coming for a church that's got Y2K food left over and stored up somewhere. <laughs> He's coming for a glorious church, a church that's living above the circumstances of the world, a church that's provided for when the world is scrambling, trying to figure out where we're going to come up with the next thing that we need. He's coming for a church that while the world is screaming about health care, the, the church is living in health. That's the glorious church that the Bible talks about. It's the supernatural. It's the church walking in the wow factor of God. The glory of God is one of the hardest things to define in all of Scripture. It's designed to show us that God is bigger than anything that we could imagine. Come join us at Foothill Family Church as we learn about Him together. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. 
my mother called up and said, you have to turn on the TV, you have to watch this man. Suddenly we're watching it every Sunday. It started the whole, well, maybe we should go to church. We're going to get out of our pajamas on Sunday morning and we're going to go to church. And now you can't get us to not come to church. And pastors teaching, you know, it was outstanding on television, but you were kind of shocked by how much more there was when it wasn't just the half an hour, but you know, his full message. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.